for Your Good Ministries International, a ministry going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. This series is teaching on the law of first reference, that is, how we begin or upon what do we establish all things in our lives, and the law of first institution, that is, to what do we first work all things out in our lives. And now, here's Abraham. Well, again, a very good day to all of those who have been viewing these episodes. We've been teaching over the recent past on what we refer to as the law of first reference. What does that mean? That means to what do we first refer to in every context, situation, or decision that we may make in our lives. What is our starting point? How do we make solid decisions? How do we define a given outcome that represents God's blessed intention for us? Because God desires that we live in His blessed estate, that we prosper and are in good health in every single area of our lives. So the law of first reference teaches us from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, as well as John chapter 1 verse 1, where we learn in the beginning God, and in the beginning was the Word. And so wisdom's counsel is to go to the Word of God initially, up front, in the beginning of any decision or prospective season, pardon me, season that we seek to embrace. So when we go to the Word of God, we avert consequences, we avert failure, maybe even pain, anguish, and or consequential suffering from decisions made that weren't made in consideration of the wise counsel of the Word of God. So that's the law of first reference, to see that as a law, in other words, as our starting point that will not variate from in any situation in our lives. We spoke about that wise counsel is to go to the Word of God in the beginning, but what about if we haven't gone to the Word of God, and we now find ourselves in a place of demise and struggle, and maybe serious consequences in a given context, or maybe most every area of our life? Well, there too, in the beginning, that we acknowledge that we're not living in God's best for us, is immediately there and there from to go back to the Word of God, to realign or to readjust or to GPS the journey we're walking away from, a road that represents demise, to a road that will take us to God's success that He intends for us. Remembering, as we said earlier, that God watches over His Word to perform it. God elevates His Word above all of His name. So the highest estimation of God is that that represents His Word, because God is consistent with His Word. God never deviates from His Word. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever God institutes as His Word, God is given to by His design, His choice, His preference, His way to do things. God is giving, given to and wants to honor His Word. And so the Word is a sure foundation. It's an incorruptible seed. All things consist by the Word of His power. 
The word of God is living and active. Whatever is God's word is a seed planted that will always bring about God's result. Like in farming, whatever you plant, you reproduce or get the product of that that you planted. So the word of God is a seed. When we plant it as a seed, it's going to produce after its kind. It will bring about the seed's promised intention. You can only get the fruit that the seed represents. So if I plant a word, if I'm doing something that's disaligned to God's word, that's an incorruptible seed, pardon me, that's a corruptible seed. Good to recognize that. So there's corruption in that seed, which will bring about what? Will bring about a corrupt result, which means far removed from God's incorruptional intent that God has for us. And so again, the law of first reference is to go to the Word of God, especially and, prefer and preferably in the beginning of any season or decision that we're about to make. So I'm considering getting married. Long before I get married, I've gone to the Word of God, and in my case, because I'm a male, I study out what it is to be a husband. I prepare myself, I ready myself, I'm beginning to already function as a husband before I say I do at the altar. In the case of my wife, before she is to marry me, she goes to the Word of God and studies out what is a wife, how does a wife function, what is the role of the wife. She begins to effect that in her journey towards marriage. And then again, when she stands at the altar to say, I do in regard to myself, to be married to myself, she already is established as a wife before we begin the journey. To begin that journey not knowing what a husband or a wife is and how the husband or the wife are to function is to ensure a road of challenge and of struggle. And ultimately, as the Word of God says, in a way that seems right to man, to result into a place called destruction. That marriage is going to fail, is going to break down, and even prospectively result in divorce. Why did that unfold? Because we didn't apply the Word of God in the beginning, or when trouble started, having not applied the Word of God, we didn't go to the counsel of God's Word to take us out of that downward spiral to walk on a road that will ultimately take us to God's success. And so again, the law of first reference is to trust by faith, to embrace God's word. And as the book of James says, to be doers of the word of God, so that we're not living in deception. We can live in deception thinking we're going to get a result, but that result only comes if it's the word of God. And so we embrace the Word of God as a strong foundation in any context of our lives. We've spoken about marriage, husband, wife, father, mother, or parenthood at large, how to do business, how to do finance, how to govern a nation. In any area of our lives, in any context, in the singular or the plural, when we identify ourselves with the Word of God and we practice or appropriate or do the Word of God, we're going to, as a guarantee, we're going to get God's result of good success and that we prosper. So today I want to look at the book of Mark and teach from Mark chapter 4. This is Jesus 
who's now explaining in a sense in farming terms so that the audience of the day would understand what he's trying to teach rather clearly. So Jesus often taught in parables. So he used a type setting or an example familiar to the understanding of many. And then from that, he would draw out spiritual truths. So in Mark chapter 4, it's very interesting how Jesus refers to what we call the parable of the sower. I believe you could also call this the parable of the condition of the heart, because that actually, in a sense, may be more important than even the parable of the seed itself. Not diminishing the power of the seed, but the seed can only take root in a certain type of heart. And so we're going to look at that in Mark chapter 4. And so again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples the value of the word of God, how it can produce and reproduce after its kind in a manifold manner. So again, let's look at Mark chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 1 onwards. And he says this in verse 1. It says, And again, he began to teach by the sea. We do well to just pause on that initial part of verse 1. So Jesus began to teach by the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. And Galilee represents something. It's good to study God's word by studying names and places and what they mean because they have some spiritual depth in all of that. So Jesus is beginning to teach by the Sea of Galilee. Galilee represents the very intention for why Jesus is teaching this parable. It's a place of abundance. It's a place that teems with life. The Sea of pardon me, Galilee is a vibrant place. It's a place filled with life. So Jesus is teaching at that sea. And in a sense, he's setting up a type of intent that he has in mind as he teaches this parable. And so he began to teach by the Sea of Galilee. That place that teems with abundant and vibrant life. So he's about to say the word of God is to bring to you a teeming of abundant, vibrant life. That's the picture or the setting that Jesus has in mind as he's about to teach this parable. It says, and a great multitude. So these are people who were coming in to find out answers or solutions, in many cases, to the dilemma that the lives found themselves at. So they had heard of, they had found out about, they had searched out for the person of Jesus, because whatever Jesus taught released life and changed the status quo, the direction or the results of people's lives. And so because Jesus taught life, and therein lies a key for us as those who lead or pastor or teach God's word. When we teach the life of the word of God, it draws people to hear what we're saying because they want life released to them by our teaching. And so it says, a great multitude was gathered to who? To Jesus. For many good reasons. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus represents the word of God personified. Jesus only said what he heard the Father say. He only did what he saw the Father do. Because Jesus himself was 100% aligned to the Word of God. 
Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Jesus was precisely aligned to the word of God. And because of that, Jesus always released life into every single context. Jesus never once imparted death, negativity, sickness, condemnation, other than to the Pharisees for good reason. But never once that that Jesus represented was not left with a residue of abundant, vibrant life. The very Zoe life of himself or the Godhead, God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so again it says, and a great multitude was gathered to who? To him. When we preach Jesus, therein lies a key. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you find eternal life. But, there's an injunction, he says, but these are they that speak of me, or point you to me, or through these scriptures, if you're not finding me, you're not about to find life. That's a wonderful key. So from Genesis chapter 1 right on through to Revelation, we must be looking for Jesus because Jesus is abundant life. He represented the word. He did the word. He got the product result or fruit of the word that left a legacy that you and I to this day and into all of perpetuity will glean from. And so a great multitude was gathered to him. We are to have people gathered to Jesus. Not to ourselves and not in a sense to other characters in scripture. Unless from those characters we can teach Jesus in and through those characters. And point them through those characters as types and shadows. That point to the life abundant that Jesus represents. So what did Jesus do? So he got into a boat and sat in it on that sea. Otherwise Jesus positioned himself. Over that, that team with abundant life. He got into a boat. You can say the boat represents the work because Jesus was in it. It was the vehicle that was carrying Jesus. But where was it situated or stationed? It was, it was stationed above that, that teams with abundant life. The Sea of Galilee. For Your Good Ministries International. A ministry whose vision it is to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. For your good both hosts its own conferences and is also invited into other contexts to train and to teach. To train pastors and leaders and others in the fivefold ministry. Training to church governance with resultant unity. Mediate into and bring about conflict resolution. Training to marriage, family and parenting. Training to the business sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. Trains too into the educational sectors on how to be in unity and function successfully for unity commands a blessing. For you could also establishes Bible colleges. For Your Good Ministries, ministers on Christian radio, on online platforms, and on various social media platforms. Partner with us for For Your Good Ministries as a heart for all is going into all the world to make disciples of all nations as the waters cover the sea. And 
email us for more information on our ministry services or to train into your context. Reach out to us on inquiries at foryourgood.net. And then the scripture goes on to say, And the whole multitude was on the land facing him. So Jesus represents the word. When we live by the word, becoming doers of the word, what kind of product or result will we draw to ourselves for we now represent abundant life? It says our whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So because Jesus released life, and that's the intention of the word, and now stationed himself in a boat upon the sea of Galilee, showing that he was the master of that that teams of life, that his word or the word releases life, that drew a crowd, and it says the whole, which means to the exception of none. The whole multitude was on the land facing that sea. In other words, Jesus representing the teeming of abundant life. They were facing that product and wanting to hear how do they realize that product in their lives. How can their lives represent the Sea of Galilee teeming with abundant, vibrant, reverberating love? So Jesus, cognizant of that or aware of that, it says, then he taught them, those who were facing the sea, those who were seeking out the abundant, teeming life. He taught them. He taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. So now they're seeing this picture. Jesus is representing the word that's above this picture of teeming life. And what does Jesus say to them? What is he going to teach them? How are they going to get to this teeming abundant life? He says, listen, and if your Bible as is mine, there's an exclamation mark. In other words, he's checking, he's drawing their attention by saying, listen. It's said in a succinct, direct way, with no variation, no shadows, no hesitation, but an absolute, because Jesus knew the knowledge of what he was about to teach. If they receive that by listening, in a sense, with their spiritual ears, or we could say with both ears inclined to what he's saying, they listen to him clearly, they're going to get the result of the picture that is before their eyes. So he says, listen with an exclamation mark. Then he says, behold, in other words, look here, yeah. take notice of, listen clearly and in great detail with high attention to what I'm about to share with you. So he says, listen, behold, a sower went out to do what? To sow. So this sower is going out with the decided intention to sow something so that he would get the product or the result of the something that he sowed. Because whatever we sow is what we reap. So he says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now Jesus goes on and he says, and it happened. In other words, as you sow, there's an absolute result that's going to happen. However, Jesus is going to go on to explain the condition of the heart at the same time. It says, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. 
important point that Jesus is making here. It says, and the birds of the air came and devoured that seed that was sown. So Jesus says the seed that sell by the wayside left an opportunity for the birds of the air, which is a picture or type of the enemy himself being Satan. He came and devoured that seed that was sown. Then Jesus said some of the seed fell on a different substrate or surface. It says some seed fell on stony or hard or rocky ground. So it's the same seed, but fell on a different substrate. So some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately, this seed sprung up because it had no depth of the earth. When you plant seed with as little earth, very quickly does it germinate and spring up. However, when it springs up, because there's no depth in the earth, it says, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. So that same seed planted, falling on this substrate, the earth had no depth to it, so the sun scorched it, and that seed withered away. In other words, it bore no fruit, didn't bring about the result and intent of the purpose of that seed. And then Jesus went on to say, And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. So here we had the seed that fell amongst the thorns, but because it was amongst the thorns, as the thorns grew up, they choked out the seed so that it bore no fruit. For it says, and it yielded no or zero crop. So Jesus is teaching those who are fixated on looking at him and the product of the Sea of Galilee, why some will and some won't have the picture of this teeming life that the Sea of Galilee represents. Then Jesus says, but other seed fell on good ground, fertile ground, and it yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced, in some cases 30-fold, in some cases 60-fold, in other cases the optimized intent of the word itself 100-fold. So Jesus now teaches this parable again in farming terms because the audience would understand it they were ruralized type people they were farming type people they understood the principle of what he was saying but the depth of that parable they were still to greatly understand so then when we go to verse number nine jesus says this he says and he said to them he who has ears so he's talking about a spiritually inclined ear, not our natural ears, although we may hear through those. A spiritual ear represents where our heart is situated. If we're hearing from there, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Of course, Jesus was covering many bases there. For example, the Pharisees 
never had ears to hear what Jesus was teaching. They had ears self-inclined towards themselves. So Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus wants us to hear the depth of the truth that brings about the product or the four results that the parable of the sower or the condition of the heart brings about. And so keeping in mind that the disciples were not yet at that born-again experience. And so they lacked some understanding. And so because of this lack of understanding, they inquired of Jesus as to what this parable means. And so they say as follows, it says, And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So now they wanted to get an understanding. And it's important how Jesus responds to this. Because Jesus now, when they inquired of him, to gain an understanding of what this parable represented, or what it was teaching them, as to how to get the picture set before them, remembering the Sea of Galilee, teeming with great life, which is the intention of the Word of God, Jesus says this to them. And herein lies a key of primary importance. I'd like us to pause and reflect on what Jesus was saying at the get-go. Because what he says, he says as follows. He says, and he, that being Jesus, said to them, those who wanted to gain a deeper understanding of this parable of the sower. Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? He says, how then will you understand any or all of the other parables? So herein lies, if you like, the Rosetta Stone of understanding. Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this parable and the spiritual depth that it's teaching, as to how you can come into the fullness of that that I have for you, set by the picture again of the Sea of Galilee, it says, if you don't understand this parable, he's actually saying it's impossible to understand all the other parables. Again, let's read what Jesus says. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the other parables? So Jesus is making a salient pointer that is an imperative. It's a must be that we get an understanding of what this parable represents. Because time doesn't allow us to go into any further depth in its regard, we'll pick up again next week on the parable of the sower or the parable of the fertile or the condition of our hearts. And so until next week, this is Abraham Foss saying, God bless. Looking forward to speak with you again next week, same time, same place. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series. Even 100% attention to God and hold on to that word. I can reproduce that word through my heart, the fertility of the soul of my heart, up to a 100-fold return. So as we close out the parable of the sower, let us keep in mind the power of the word of God. The law of first reference, when we go to the word of God with a fertile heart to receive it, it's going to reproduce at least 30-fold, preferably 60-fold, but ultimately you can reproduce 100-fold.
the word of God that's sown in a fertile heart. My prayer is that both you and I represent a heart that's fertile so that we can get a teeming with life result that represents a 100-fold return in every single context of our lives. We thank you for joining us in viewing this program and look forward to meeting with you next week as we continue with this series.